0: Well, this morning, we're going to talk a little bit about surrendering our profession. And this is a story that, or a passage of Scripture, that is very close to my heart. I love to preach on this passage, and I think it is one of the most relevant passages of Scripture in the gospel today. For our generation, and our day and time, we are living at the end of Earth's history. We are Seventh-day Adventists. We are the people of the book. God has raised us up for a very distinct, a very specific purpose. Amen? And that is to proclaim to the world that Jesus is coming soon. And with that comes great pressure from the world to do just the opposite of that. How many would agree with that? And uh, it could be that in your workplace, it could be that in your practice, in your profession, in your office, in your hospital, wherever you are working, that there is that great pressure to hinder you from proclaiming that message. And so today's subject is going to be on that very pressure, the pressure that comes from the world to hinder God's message wherever we are, and how, by God's grace, by His strength, and by His promises, we can overcome that pressure. Amen? So let's pray together. I'm just going to invite you to bow your heads wherever you are, and I'm going to kneel this morning, and you can pray for me as I pray for you. Father in heaven, this morning we praise you and thank you for the great Sabbath day. What a joy, a day in which our hearts may be refreshed, a day in which our hearts may be recreated, rejuvenated, revived, and a day in which we find rest in our Creator and our Savior. And on this day, we cease from our works as a sign to the world that we cannot be saved by our works. And Lord, it is in this day and in this hour that we pray for the power of the Spirit of God that you may revive our minds and you may help us understand the precious treasures that are in your Word. And so this morning, as we dive deep into the Word, we pray that you would be here bringing comfort to our hearts where needed, bringing conviction to our hearts where needed, and bringing a transformation where needed. And so, Lord, we yield ourselves to you that you may do with us as it seems good to you during this time. And we come in Jesus' name. Let everyone say amen. amen. I remember a number of years ago that I was in the Ukraine. And when I worked for Amazing Facts, we did Uh, created a number of global AFCOs. We planted AFCOs in various places of the world to train young people and various other, uh, old people. It didn't really matter which ones. We had some of both. How to be a witness for the Lord. And we established one of those schools in Ukraine. I remember that I, did several evangelistic meetings over there. I remember that the uh, Ukrainian church, the conference leadership, everything we sought to do, they would tell us, oh, that can't be done here. You can't do that here. And the things that we were striving to do were what the Spirit of Prophecy told us to do. It told us to do health fairs and health programs. And they said, oh, people here, they won't come to that. They won't come to that. And they said, look, let's let's try it. And so we went out to knock on doors and to invite people to talk about their health. We invited them to talk about Bible studies. We offered them Bible studies. And the church leadership there said, oh, that will never work. People will never open the door for you. And so we went out for the first time on a Friday afternoon. And we sent about 60 students out and about 150 church members out. And they went out knocking on doors. And after about two hours... They came back and they had to quit early because they had so many people who were interested in health. And they had filled their entire schedule for Bible studies. And we didn't know what to do. So they had all their slots filled on all the days that they would do Bible studies were filled in just two hours. And then we said, we want to have a health expo and invite all the people from the meetings to come. And they said, oh, that'll never work because people here, you know, they just have a certain way of life and they're not going to be interested in any of those things. So we said, let's do it anyway. So we rented this public hall. We sent all of our people out with flyers. And uh, on the day that we had the health fair, which was just a couple of days before the meetings, the people were standing at the door all the way down the hall, down the stairs and out the door into the streets. And literally you could see the doors bulging. Because the people were pushing on the doors ready to get in. And when they opened the doors, our st- the, the people almost trampled our students trying to get in and, and to, the, um, to the different stations for the health expo. And then they, we said, well, we're going to do an evangelistic series and we're going to register people. They said, oh, that'll never work. They said, because people from communism that lived in communism would never give you their name and address. It's just fixed in their minds. And so we had our evangelistic series, our students went out and in two weeks with the church members passed out by hand about 110,000 invitations to the meetings, by hand. And the people came, we had so many people, we had to do two sessions. And we said, oh, we're going to do visitation. And they said, oh, people would never let you come to their homes. And so we put out a sign-up sheet at the front desk, inviting people to sign up to visit with the speaker. The people were knocking each other over, trying to get there to sign up to do visitation. There was one particular elderly man. You know, it's, it's very interesting. There's a strong lesson in that, that there are often times people would tell you that a certain thing won't work. They'll tell you, you just can't do this because the mindset of the people are a certain way. But let me tell you, Jesus came to change the mindset of people, didn't he? And as Adventists today, we can often get ourselves in a certain mindset. Maybe as physicians you can say, well, it's difficult for me to share with my patients because of this reason or that reason. Maybe it's a hospital policy that prevents you. Maybe it's your own fear that, that they will not respond in the way that you hope. Maybe it's your fear that they would become offended if you mentioned spiritual things. But I'll tell you that there was a man who came to those meetings... And he was a very elderly man. He was in his early 80s. And he came every night. And he came because of a young girl who was 16 years old, who in the previous session had not believed in God. And she was, I I don't want to tell the whole story, it takes too much time, but she was was, uh, ready to give up on life. And someone handed her an invitation to come to the meetings. And she says, well, I might as well give God one final chance. When she was on her way to the meetings, a car almost struck her in the side as she was crossing the street to come into the auditorium. And she looked up, and all she had time to say was, dear God, please save me. Just kind of like Peter yesterday, right? And she said that that car almost miraculously stopped one inch from the side of her hip. It would have struck her in the side, And that night, she gave her life to Christ. She came the next session of our AFCO in the fall as a student. And this young girl went and knocked on the door of this elderly man and invited him to do Bible studies. And then he came to the meetings. This young girl, who herself, six months ago, was an atheist. And this man came to the meetings, and he showed me a newspaper clip of a news story from 15 years prior, and he said that he had a lot of problems, a lot of issues with his stomach and in his in his uh, just his whole abdomen area. And so he went to the physicians to the hospital, and they did a scan and they said, "You have terminal cancer." I don't remember what type of cancer it was. They said, "We will give you two weeks to one month to live." There's nothing that we can do for you. You need to go home, get yourself in order, and prepare to die. So he went home, and he was not satisfied with that answer. He said, I began to fast. I began to pray. I began to study my Bible every day. And he said, and day after day, I would fast, pray, and study my Bible. And he said, I kept waiting for the day that I would die. And he said, that day has still not yet come in more than 15 years. And he said, I went back to the doctors and they said, you have terminal cancer. There's nothing we can do for you. He says, but I'm still alive today. And he had a newspaper article where the local village had done an an article on his story. And I got a picture with him and that young lady. And friends, I'm telling you that there are wonderful things that modern medicine can do, but modern medicine has its limitations. I think all of you know that. But there are wonderful things also that can be done when modern medicine is mixed in spirituality with the power of God. You believe that today? I believe that God can do things that modern medicine can't do. And I believe that the limitations of modern medicine are there that we might rely upon a power that is higher than us. And God works through modern medicine because if it were not for modern medicine, I would be dead. And God works through that, and I believe in it. But God still has a power that is greater than anything on this earth. What do you, do you believe that today, yes or no? And I want you to understand today that there is a power that takes place when there is a mixture, a blending, an integration of the spiritual and the physical. God is interested in whole body care, amen? Whole person care. He's not just interested in the physical. He's not just interested in the mental or the emotional, but He's interested in the spiritual. And if you today, as physicians and dentists and nurses and other types of healthcare professionals, if you are simply ministering to the physical, then you are missing more that God wants to do through your work. You are missing something that God wants to do through your ministry. So go with me to Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3. Actually, before we go there, go with me to Luke chapter 1. No, I'm sorry. (laughs) Let me back up. I'm getting confused here. Go to Matthew 3, then we're going to go to Luke 1, then we're coming back to Matthew 3. Matthew chapter 3, and I want you to see, this is the main passage we're going to study this morning. Matthew 3, verse 1. Are you there? All right. Matthew 3 and verse 1, the Bible says, In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent! For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths, what? Straight. Now, oftentimes, we've read this passage many times. Many of us have quoted it at various uh, levels of ministry, or maybe we preach a sermon or whatever, we're very familiar with this passage, and we know that John was called to prepare the way for Jesus, correct? And the Bible goes on in the book of Isaiah, it talks about making the crooked path straight, and he talks about leveling the hills and raising the valleys, and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. And often we think about John as a means of simply preparing a pathway. Or a road for someone else, correct? However, I want you to look at Luke chapter one. Hold your finger there because we're coming right back. We're looking at one verse in Luke chapter one. But in Luke chapter one, and in verse seventeen, I want you to know, uh, see a very important point here. John, I'm sorry, Luke chapter one, verse seventeen. This is also speaking of John the Baptist. He will also go before him, speaking of Jesus, in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers of the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just. And notice this last phrase. This is the phrase I want you to see. To make ready a what? A what? A people... Prepared for the Lord. Now, we know in Adventist typology or whatever that John the Baptist was to prepare a people for the first coming of Christ, correct? As Seventh day Adventists, we are a type of John the Baptist called in the last days to prepare a people for which coming of the Lord? The second coming of the Lord. You understand? And you notice here that John is not just simply preparing a pathway for Jesus, but he is actually preparing a people to receive Christ. Does that make sense to you this morning? Yes or no? Okay. And so I want you to understand this morning that every single one of us, no matter what our profession, are called to prepare a people for the Lord. We're called to prepare what? A people for the Lord, not just simply to prepare the way for someone else, but every one of us are called to prepare a people. It doesn't matter what your profession is. It doesn't matter if you're a dentist, a doctor, a nurse, or a physical therapist, or whatever you are. You are called to prepare a people for Jesus' soon return. Not your pastor, not your you know your conference office, but you and I are called to do that. Now let's look back at Matthew chapter 3 and see exactly how we are called to do that. Matthew chapter 3, you can go right back there. And uh, we're going to look, we're going to start back here in verse 1. Now the people in John's day were in spiritual lethargy. Yes or no? That's why the Bible says, and L. White says, that Jesus was sent just at the right time. And God knew this beforehand because in the book of Daniel, he wrote about it. He wrote about the exact year, the exact time that Jesus would be baptized and begin his ministry. In Daniel chapter 9, it speaks of this. And so God knew just the right time that the people of the earth needed to hear a distinct and specific message. Did he not? And that was the life and ministry of Christ. So likewise, in the last days, God knew the exact and specific time that the world needed to hear a distinct and a specific message. And thus, he rose up prophetically the Seventh-day Adventist church. How many of you can say amen. amen? And friends, you are a part of that church. Therefore, you are called to be a John the Baptist. And he spoke with such a truth that it pierced their hearts. Look with me in John, Matthew 3, verse 1. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. There was an urgency with the message of John the Baptist. He was preparing the way for Christ to be revealed within those people whom he was baptizing. Amen? He was preparing those people to receive Christ in them, the hope of glory. God would have you and I, I believe, this morning, to speak the same way. What does it mean to preach a message of repentance? What does that mean? It means essentially this, to tell people stuff that they don't want to hear. To tell them stuff that their hearts chafe against. To tell them stuff that their carnal natures and their carnal hearts will reel at. Because their life is contrary to what God would have them to live. Now as physicians and as dentists and others, other professionals, you do this on a regular basis. You preach a message of repentance. You tell people you are overweight. You need to change your lifestyle. There is no pill for what the problem that you have. You have diabetes. You need to shift the way that you're living, right? You have a rotten tooth. You need to start to brush your teeth and floss and do all the necessary things, right? As physicians, physically, you are regularly telling people, giving people a message of repentance. Is that true, yes or no? But let me tell you, friends, there is a deeper message of repentance that as a medical professional, God is leading you to bear. And to properly bear a message of repentance, a message of repentance is, has never been Nor is it now, in fact, it's probably less now than ever, been popular. When you tell your patients you need to do this because they've been doing this all their life, what do they do? Oh, man, I don't want to do that. Don't you just have something that I can take that, you know how it goes. But let me tell you, friends, a message of repentance is one that is born for a, you cannot bear a message of repentance for those that you do not love. You must love the person in order to bear a message of repentance to them. Do you understand that? And you must think more of their person, their, their, their soul, than you think of their opinion of you. Do you understand that? And as physicians, you often do this already. You already understand that if I do not tell this person a certain thing, their life is at risk. Are you with me? But how often we cower from doing the same thing spiritually. We are ready to give them physical care. We're ready to give them mental care. And sometimes, for those with good bedside manners, even emotional care... But sometimes, how often are we actually giving them a message of repentance spiritually? Maybe you're not rebuking them for doing this or that, but you are offering them spiritual care. You are offering them Bible studies. You are offering to pray with them. You are giving them an opportunity to have a bridge into spiritual care and into spiritual repentance. Are you with? Does that make sense? John bore a message of repentance, and God is calling us to do the same. Now, God, or I'm sorry, John, would lead men and women to begin thinking about great truths. Did he not? John was not so concerned about what they thought about him as much as he was his care and and the need for them to turn their lives over to the Lord. He wasn't concerned about it. John first began to arise their thinking. He awakened them out of their slumber, and then he preached Christ to them. Many of your patients that come to you have already been aroused from their slumber. Do you see that? Because they have a crisis, they have some level of issue in their lives. And they're coming to you for that purpose. But many of them do not know that it is their spiritual problem that has led to all the other problems in their lives. But you, as Seventh-day Adventist medical professionals, you understand this. If the minister were to come to them and say, look, you have a spiritual problem, they would not respond to that. But you as a physician say, you know, I believe today that the fruit of your physical problems is because of a deeper problem that you have. Let me tell you about that. And some of you may think to yourselves, well, we have policies in our hospitals that don't allow that. Yes, and there are people around the world who have policies within their government that they are not to worship God, and they still do it. If you ever get a chance, read the book or listen to it called The Heavenly Man with Brother Yun. Has anyone ever heard of that book? Yeah, several of you have. You want to talk about policies and governmental rules, you look at that book and then come and talk to me. But your people have spiritual issues that you have an opportunity to minister to them about. They have been awakened in their slumber, and he called them to a life of repentance. And Jesus is calling us to do the same. We've come to the place where we want to often just simply tell people what they want to hear. And I can imagine that it must be very frustrating for medical professionals to say, you have this problem, this is what you need to do, and they don't do it. How many of you have experienced that? They come back a month later or six months later and the same condition or even worse. Well, let me tell you, pastors have the same problem. We tell our churches, you need to rise up and do the work, and they just sit and slumber. But let me tell you, friends, the time has come for us to be bold in what we proclaim. I don't mean tactless, you have to always have to be tactful, you always have to be loving. But friends, we are so concerned about being loving and kind and tactful that we're unwilling to tell people what they need to hear. And that's not what God is calling you to do. He's placed you in that place to tell them the entire message. To bear to them a message of repentance. And that's exactly what He's calling you to do. Today is Seventh-day Adventist. We have been raised to call the world out of spiritual and eternal death. And we have to be more interested in what God and their eternal welfare and what God would say to them than what their opinions are of us or even the opinions of our colleagues. Now let me go on here and I'm going to go on to verse 4. It says, Now John himself was clothed in camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist and his food was locust and wild honey. Then Jerusalem, all Judea, and all the region around the Jordan went out to him, and were baptized by him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. I want to talk to you a little bit about peer pressure. And often in every setting, it doesn't really matter what setting it is, we are often faced with various types of pressures to conform to certain things i've heard the i've heard it said many times that people say if i do not live a certain lifestyle if i do not rise up to certain social expectations certain professional expectations then i am going to lose my influence With the people around me. How many of you have ever heard people say that? Specifically, many times, there are Seventh-day Adventists who say, if I were to live a Seventh-day Adventist lifestyle around my colleagues, or around my friends, or around my neighbors, or around those I associate with, if they were to see me act contrary to what is expected of me in my circle of influence, then I would lose influence. You understand what I'm saying here. But I want you to notice that John did not subscribe to the cultural norms of his day. You didn't see the priest walking around dressed in camel's hair. You understand? You didn't see the priest walking around with those odd leather belts on the, around their waist. You didn't see the priest walking around with a diet of locusts and wild honey. John was different. Yes or no? John was very different from the others of his day. And many people would assume you would even call John a little bit strange, a little bit peculiar, a little bit odd, very different from what the norm was and what was expected of religious teachers in his day. And yet the Bible tells us that all the people, how many? All the people from all Judea came and listened to him preach. Let me tell you something, friends... People are looking for something different today. Did you see when that, when that young man uh, who, uh, the young boy that was killed, the, the police officer, I think from Dallas, went in and, 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 or I'm sorry, she went in her house, or she mistaked the apartment, she went in and shot this young boy, and how the family responded, and that one young brother of that young man went up and forgave her, and he talked about, and maybe you remember seeing that in the news, And they embraced. And do you see how quickly that went around the world? You understand that people are looking for different. They are tired of the norms. And let me tell you, friends, that sometimes we will go into a place and we will be a different person during the week at our work site than we are in church on Sabbath. And we're living a lifestyle that the world will often expect rather than that lifestyle that Christ expects. And we are looking for a reputation because we think somehow it's going to gain us influence with those we work with. But I'll tell you, friends, you are likely losing influence. You know why? Because your colleagues probably know to some capacity that you're a Seventh-day Adventist. You understand? They know that. And when they see you living two different lifestyles, they begin to lose respect. But if you will stand and live for your convictions... It may not seem apparent on the surface. It may not become clear right away. But in due time, you're going to gain a very deep and influential respect from them. And when there is a crisis in their life, they're going to come to you and they're going to want to know what it is that keeps you calm and that keeps you at peace and that keeps you so consistent in your life. And they're going to want to know the answer to that. John the Baptist was very different. He didn't succumb to the pressures of those around him. And friends, let me tell you today that you do not have to succumb to the, to the expectations and the pressures of the professional world. If it gets you in a place where you would, would lose your job or you would lose your integrity because you would succumb to that type of pressure, then it's time for you to leave or make your stand. I'll tell you what, friends, it's not worth selling your soul to the corporate world. It's not worth it. It's better to live as a pauper than to lose your godliness and to lose your peace and your joy and to sever that relationship with Christ. John the Baptist was unwilling to do it. And Christ calls you today to not just preach like John the Baptist, but he calls you to live like John the Baptist. He calls you to be different. Not because you're trying to be contrary, but because you want to be consistently following the Savior. You want to follow the Lamb wherever he goes. John was not willing to compromise In his life, he was not willing to yield to those expectations that were demanded of him when they compromised his integrity and his relationship with the Lord. And as an influence, God led him to have an influence over all the region. And they came out and they heard John preach. John and his message wasn't just his message, but it was his lifestyle. My friends, you cannot practice medicine as if there were no Christ returning to this earth very soon. John mess- John's message said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. But John the Baptist also lived his life as if the kingdom of heaven was at hand. Both personally and professionally. You must give an account for your patience. Just as the minister must give an account for his flock. And the parent for their children. Do you understand, my friends, that you are spiritually accountable before God for your patience? Did you know that? Now, you're not responsible if they reject your counsel, but you are responsible to give the counsel. And friends, I'll tell you, I don't know what you face in the hospitals as far as policy and as far as other things. But let me tell you, if you will go to God in the closet, he will teach you how to talk to people. If you will cry to him in the closet where no one sees, he will show you how to speak with wisdom when everyone sees, and he will give you just the right words to speak your patience to lead them. And let me say that. I was going to say this tomorrow, but I'm going to say a little bit of it today. God has called you to do more than pray with your patience. He has called you to lead them to Christ and lead them to the Adventist message. And I don't know how it's going to be. It's probably going to be different for every person. But friends, do you pray for your patients as much as you study their charts? I hope that you are today. I hope that you are pleading with God for every patient that you encounter, that you might not just simply touch them physically, that you're not just praying to Christ to heal them physically and give you wisdom on how to help them physically, but that you are pleading with God to see a radical change in their life spiritually. And let me tell you, God can do that. He can do it. And if he hasn't been doing it through your ministry, it's probably not simply because of the hospital policies. It's because you have compromised in your own life. And you have been unwilling to let God use you in the fullness of the capacity of the ministry of medicine. Because I'll tell you, friends, everywhere I go, There are people spiritually hungry. And that multiplies intensely in the hospital room. You understand this? You have a you have you have better interests in your office than the minister can find in the community. You have them coming to you. I remember when I was sick in the hospital and I had my cancer issue. And I was in there receiving a treatment and I was in the room next to a man and uh, he was an elderly man. He was dying from pancreatic cancer. He had only weeks to live. And as I began to talk to this man, he began. He was telling me about his life. And he was telling me about, you know, how he grew up and the life that he had lived. And he was telling me the mistakes that he had made and the regrets that he had, the joys and the memories that he remembered. And I remember, he, you know, and I understood that, that he was doing this because he was at the end of his life. And then after probably 45 minutes, he says to me, so what what is what is your what do you do? What is your story? And I said, Well, I'm a minister of the gospel. He said, You are. I said, I am. He said, Well, what church do you go to? I said, Well, I'm a Seventh Day Adventist pastor. He says, You can't be serious. I said, I am serious. He said, I used to go to the Adventist church. He said, My wife was a member, and I attended, although I never joined. And he said one of his fondest memories was that the church used to have a Christmas play every year. And he said, for about 10 years, I was the voice of God in the play. (laughs) That's what he told me. I thought, wow. And then he looks at me and he says, Over the years, I drifted away from God. Over the years, I, I began to get busy with the affairs of life. Over the years, I became overly obsessed with my job, and, and making money, and, and buying a bigger house, and and all these building my retirement, and all these things. And he said, and then I was struck with pancreatic cancer. And he said, now I'm lying in this bed, looking back over the years that I missed with my family, and over the years that I missed with my friends. And then he asked me this question. He says, do you think? That it's too late for me with Jesus? Do you think that there's still hope for me? Do you think that God would still receive me if I, wanted, if I wanted to come back to him? And I thought, this is the golden opportunity of the ages. And by the grace of God, I shared some scripture with him. And we had a prayer, and that man received Christ once again into his life. And his whole face was different. His whole face was lighted up. He was joyful. He was cheerful. He said, brother, whether I have two weeks, two days, or two years to live, I'm going to spend every day rejoicing. I'm going to tell my family about Jesus. That man left the hospital two days later. I never saw or heard from him again. But I knew that his life was secure in Christ. You understand, friends, how many of your patients do you think it's possible have been laying in their beds or or in their sick beds or in their death beds hoping and wishing that Christ would come to them one more time. That Christ would give them one more opportunity. That they could make themselves right with Him, but they were not sure if they would receive Him. If He would receive them. And how many times... Have you possibly neglected to offer them that hope? My friends, today, I can assure you that if I were a physician and it meant for me to risk my job versus risking that person's eternal life, I can tell you that I'd be filing for unemployment the next day. Because the eternal things are so much greater than the temporal. People throughout the ages have risked more than you will risk in your job to tell others about Him. People have risked their lives. And God is calling you today to be John the Baptist to these people. He's calling you not to compromise in your personal life. He's calling you not to compromise. In your professional life. He's calling you not to compromise. In your spiritual life. He's calling you not to compromise. In fear. Of what they might say. Or how they might respond. Or what they might say. To get you in trouble. But friends today. Take the risk. And if You experience the consequence, but you're faithful to God. He will then put you in a place where you can do that on a regular basis. John the Baptist was not just simply preparing a path for the Lord. He was preparing a people for the Lord. His message was a message of repentance we are not to impress the people that we work with with our own reputation, but rather we are invite, to invite them with Christ's reputation. Are you with me this morning? Some of us here this morning, I don't claim that it's all of us. It might be all of us to some level. But all of us are tempted with these things. All of us are tempted to succumb to the pressure of that atheistic physician on our floor. That's always mocking our faith. When we eat our Daniel 1 food. He's mocking you. Oh, you're eating that grass again. That tofu. He's mocking us. When we seek to pray with our patience. He's mocking you when you manage to actually get that small break. And maybe you spend a few minutes because you've had a rough day reading your Bible in in the break room. He's mocking you. And we're tempted to compromise. We're tempted when we're about to ask that person to pray. And we see out of the corner of our eyes that one fellow walking past. And you're afraid he might overhear you in the hallway. We're tempted. And God says in those moments, without arrogance, without, without self-confidence, but with a reliance of faith in Christ, take the step of faith. Take the step that God is calling you to be. Be the message of repentance to that person, not just physically, But spiritually, God is calling you today. He's not calling you to impress your colleagues. By the way, you need to have the boldness to be Christ to your colleagues as well. You understand that? You don't have to live the lifestyle I mean, let's just be open. And I mean, I know that probably some physicians kind of reel at this, but there is a pressure to live a certain lifestyle personally as, as a healthcare professional. It's there, and you know it. To drive certain cars, to do certain things, to live a certain, have a certain type of house, there's all that pressure. And when you get together for those meetings with those other professionals, there's that expectation that you're living that lifestyle. What vacation have you taken? I mean, people know it's true. I hear people talk about it. I don't know it personally. I mean, the expectation from everybody for a pastor is that he's going to drive a Toyota Corolla all his life. And I don't mind that expectation. I've got 240,000 miles on my Corolla, amen? Still going strong. I'm going to drive that thing into the ground. I do not care about those things. I didn't care about those things when I wasn't a Christian. But you need to be Christ to your colleagues as well and to be humble, and to be kind, and to be loving. And when they ridicule you, you pray to your God in heaven for an opportunity to somehow serve them. And I can guarantee you that there will be a time when their human strength and knowledge and wisdom will fail them, and God will give you the wisdom to serve them without exposing them. But you cannot have that experience If you are caving in to the pressure to live as they live, you must live a different life. You must eat the wild honey and the locusts. You must wear the camel's hair in your workplace. You understand? I say that figuratively. Please don't do that next week. But God is calling you. John went on in verse 7 our last few minutes here. Verse 7, but when he saw many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, Root of vipers. It's not exactly what you want to say to your baptismal interest. Those that come to be baptized into the Adventist church on a Sabbath, you don't say you dirty little snakes in the grass. (laughs) Right? That's what John said. Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore, bear fruits worthy of what? He didn't just call them to repent and continue in the same way they had. He called them to bear fruits of repentance. And verse 9, do not think to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. And even now the axe is laid to the root of the tree, and therefore every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. My friends today, John rebuked. The Pharisees and the people of his day when he said, do not think that you have Abraham to call upon as your father. Do not think that your linear and family heritage is going to be the thing that saves you. Because unless Christ is living within your heart, unless Christ is revealing himself to the world around you, through you, then your spiritual heritage means nothing. And it will be thrown into the fire. It doesn't matter if you were raised in the church. It doesn't matter if your father and your grandfather or your mother and your grandfather were all good Adventist physicians. If there is not fruit of Christ in the life, then the Adventist heritage means nothing. It means a one-way ticket to destruction. Because he says, there is coming one who will baptize you with the Spirit of God. Because your heritage and your lineage is not enough. It is not enough to be a good Adventist physician or medical professional who doesn't eat pork, who doesn't do this and doesn't do that. To refrain from evil does not save you because the Pharisees refrained from much, all kinds of evil. But the living Christ must be in you. And if he is in you, you will not be able to hold your peace. You will speak on his behalf if he's in you. Bear fruits worthy of repentance. My friends, let me tell you. (laughs) There will be many Adventists who will be lost. Because they trusted in their heritage rather than the Holy Spirit. There is nothing wrong with Adventist heritage. It's a wonderful thing. You understand this. It's a thing to be happy about. It's a thing to be, in a godly way, proud of. It's a thing to be thankful for. But do understand this. And understand it well. Then when it comes to the judgment, your medical profession means nothing. And I say this kindly and sweetly and I say it out of love because I'm bearing a message of repentance for you and I care more about you than your opinion of me or what you think I might have said. But your medical degree means nothing in the judgment. How many people you got well means nothing in the judgment. What matters is how many people did I bring to Christ? And did I know, first of all, did I know Christ myself? Was he real to me? And did I make him real to my patients? I'm not saying your salvation is based upon if you save people or not. That's not what I'm saying. But if you are saved, you will save other people. At the risk of anything in your life. And your entrance to heaven is not based upon your medical degree. Or your medical accomplishments is the same as everybody else to accept a message of repentance for yourself to bear fruits of the message of repentance and then to proclaim to others a message of repentance ask your patients for bible studies invite your patients to the evangelistic meetings. Invite your patients to the health programs that your church puts on. Don't be of the opinion that only the hospital can save them, but understand that we have a message that will save people's lives, both in this life and the life to come. Be John the Baptist. When I was in the hospital... In ICU, there was a young man who was the same age as me, 28 years old, who came in just about less than 24 hours after I did. He was placed in the room next to me, and there he was on a ventilation system, unconscious. I asked the nurse, what about this man, the Sheriff's department was there and all these things that they had come in and out. And his family finally came. And the nurse told me that this young man, for some reason or another, had reached a great depth of despair in his life. And he thought his life was not worth living. So he took 30, I know you'll know what these are, the pain patches that you can, that you can prescribe... For people, pain medication that comes through the patch. You understand what those, I mean, you all know what those are. He took 30 of those patches, put them in his mouth, chewed them, and then swallowed all of the juice, all of the medication from those patches. After that, he drank a fifth of vodka. And then gradually, very quickly, he passed out until he was unconscious. A friend found him there, called the ambulance, and they brought him to the hospital, and he was right in the room next to me, fighting for his life, never regaining consciousness. And after just a few days of being in that state, he slipped away to his death. I don't know what drove that young man to that place. And I know that probably some of you see scenes like this on a daily basis. And this young man was unconscious when he reached the hospital. And no physician could reach him. But if God's church had, had if we had done the work that God truly had called us to do, then that young man may have been reached sooner and never had to reach that place. But every day you have patients whom you can speak to. Every day God brings them in your path. And I will tell you this morning. That if you are in the closet with God. He will bring more divine appointments to you than you can imagine. You won't even have to look for them. He's going to bring them. And understand my friends. That the spirit of prophecy and the scripture are both clear that you are spiritually responsible for your patience. Not just physically, emotionally, and mentally, but also spiritually. But listen, friends, what a privilege that you have. I'm not just trying to make you feel guilty. I'm trying to help you see the joy that God wants you to have. And ministering to the whole person. The complete package. To be the hands and feet of Jesus. As you not just minister to that patient, but you serve them. And you reveal Christ to them. And you lead them to the feet of Jesus. It will radically change your life. When you lead others to him. And so this morning, I'm going to make an invitation to you today. I'm asking you to not uh, to surrender your profession. I'm asking you to surrender your reputation to your colleagues. I'm asking you to surrender your reputation to your patients. I'm asking you to surrender your reputation and uh, submitting to the expectations and the pressures that you face in the workplace. In order that you may take upon yourself Christ's reputation. And that you may reveal him. Both to your colleagues and to your patients. And to all others that you encounter. So this morning, this is not a general invitation for us all to stand for the closing prayer. But God may be convicting your heart overwhelmingly. That you need to change the way you deal with your profession. That Christ can only shine through you if Christ is fully enthroned within you. And this morning you make the stand to surrender your reputation to him, to resist and reject the expectations of the worldly practice of medicine and take upon yourself the reality of eternal things with Christ's way of practicing medicine. And you're willing to make that choice today. You're willing to make that decision today. If that's you this morning, just stand to your feet. It's not a general invitation. But God is convicting you that you need to have this in your life. And he's calling you to make certain changes. I don't know what those are, but you know what they are. And God will move your heart. There may be others this morning. be John the Baptist. Amen. Father in heaven, this morning, we see the eternal weight of the ministry that we have. It's not just a practice of medicine, it's a ministry of medicine. And you've called us Lord, not to do things the way that the world does. And sometimes, Lord, we're in these places where the world runs the system and there's a great deal of pressure. But Lord, you have ways of counteracting those things. But we must step out in faith. We must trust you. Daniel could have had his head removed from his shoulders when he asked the king not to eat the king's food. But God, you were with him. Because he had knelt and bowed low before the God of heaven. And Lord, today we would bow low to you. That your spirit may work within us. And your life, our lives may be transformed through yours. And Lord, we commit ourselves to you. That we would be John the Baptist. Preaching a message of repentance and love. But a message of repentance nonetheless. Help us, O Lord, we pray, for we have not the power to withstand the pressure of the world without Christ being within. We plead for it, and we pray for it, and we expect it, Lord, because you promised it. And we come in Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse,